This episode is sponsored by Gorgeous. Gorgeous is the number one e-commerce help desk that lets you manage and respond to messages from your site, social, email, and SMS all in one platform. They have built-in automations to handle common queries like order tracking and save your team time and money. Get a free month by clicking the link in the description and elevate your customer experience today. You're listening to the Agency X Podcast. I'm your host, John Sertakowski, founder and CEO at Avex, a New York City-based e-commerce agency for high-growth D2C brands. As always, I'm joined by our e-commerce strategist, David Anzalone. Our goal is to provide some insight into e-commerce, technology, design, and everything in between. Let us know what you think of today's episode and make sure to visit our website, avexdesigns.com. Welcome to the Agency X podcast. I'm your host, John Sertakowski, as always joined by David Anzalone. And I know last time you corrected me, I said your name wrong, but I think it's still I wasn't going to correct you this time, but um, I appreciate you calling that out yourself. But hey, everyone. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Um, So today we are talking about um, data-backed design decisions, which is sort of a extension of our last podcast, which was about our discovery process, why we do it, and you know, going into the design process or starting off a project with more, making better, inf- more informed design decisions um, and using data to influence them. And I think that's something that David has a lot to talk about as well. Um, being our e-commerce strategist, he spends a lot of time in analytics and the numbers and using all these different tools that uh, I'm not as familiar with. Um, so I'll kind of kick it off and just talk a little bit about why I think it's important to go into the design pro- process with as much data as possible. Um, and then I'll pass it off to you, David, to kind of talk about some of the tactical things and things that you do. How does Great. that sound? Cool. Um, so I, I would say that this is one of the things that our merchants value the most. And I've even more so recent, recently, since we've been talking about it more, um, I've been hearing a lot of, a lot of feedback from some of the merchants that we work with that they appreciate our data-backed um, approach, especially to user experience uh, and design customer experience and things like that. Um, we've started to look, we've always looked at analytics. We've always asked questions, but I think now we're starting to do it in a more strategic way and we're using more tools and we're really focusing on, well, what are these metrics that we're trying to improve? What are some of the reasons why there might be a drop in conversion rate or there might be an issue on a certain page? And, you know, instead of just looking at it and using our experience, which we of course, we all do as professionals. We want to make sure that the decisions that we make are backed by data and that we can show our merchants, like, look, here's the reason why we're making this decision. And also, here's what we're going to improve. And it also helps us set goals. So if you kick off a project and you just want to design a beautiful website and launch it, that's great. That's your goal, of course. But like most of the time, we're trying to improve conversions. We're trying to increase Uh, or decrease page load time, uh, improve user experience, and all of these things that are going to help our merchants sell more and also help their customers just have a better experience. Uh, So, But we have to set some of those goals. And it's really important to tie those to numbers, whether it's um, a conversion rate or a bounce rate or um, 
an open rate with email. We want to make sure everything's backed by data. And with all of this different technology, we have all of this at our fingertips. We have Shopify Plus in the back end. We have tons of analytics there. We use like Google Data Studio and other tools like heat mapping and um, looking at all of the analytics within Klaviyo where we could see all of this different details. And a lot of our merchants have trouble understanding some of those. That's where we'll step in, we'll make sense of it, and we will use it to be able to, to go into the design process with um, info- giving our designers some goals, informing them why we might be doing something. So it's not just a pretty looking website and that, that looks great and functions great, but it also has... Um, it has some goals tied to it of what we're trying to do for our customers. And they really appreciate that. And that's one of the main reasons why we've been doing it. Um, and we're getting some really great feedback on it. Uh, curious, David, what your thoughts are on that, as well as, you know, what do you do for our merchants? Like what tools do you use? What Talk a little bit about your process um, about using data to kind of inform the strategies that you put together. And what, what are we giving our designers um, what tools are we giving our designers or data we're giving our designers to help them um, in the design process? Sure. And I guess first I'd like to talk about uh, what you pointed out about expertise, about, you know, when us, when we're reviewing websites and we're looking at it, of course, over time, the more we do this and the more clients we work with, we generally get a sense of what performs well or what's performed well in the past. And we kind of know what to look for. And overall, it does help us come to conclusions a lot quicker or more efficiently and to uh, come up with solutions for problems. But it's definitely not something we can lean on completely. And that's why where data comes in. So when thinking about it from like an e-commerce store, one of the nice things about it versus, uh, you know, other digital products like apps or uh, B2B tools is that the main structure of an e-com site is more or less the same. And we call those core pages. And those are the homepage, uh, collection collection pages or product listing pages, and then the product pages themselves. And uh, the card and checkout do factor into that. But especially on Shopify, uh, the checkout something we rarely look at heavily, uh, only because the design and process of it is so uh, you know, much the same and there's not much flexibility you have with that, but something we take into consideration nonetheless. So when we're kind of reviewing those pages and we kind of, we, we keep those in the highest priority of what to look at, not only when we're actually viewing the designs, but reviewing the data, what I personally like to look for is its performance as a landing page because, you know, the user, the typical user journey of homepage collection product um, that's definitely going to be prevalent on every e-com site to some extent, but in many cases, the homepage isn't even the most viewed page on the site. And uh, often it's actually product pages where most people land, depending on where you're driving your traffic. So within using a combination of Shopify's analytics, but also Google analytics, especially, we like to look for different metrics like uh, percentage of traffic, bounce rate, uh, revenue, conversion rate, AOV, and we look at this for these core pages as a total, but also broken down by attribution source of like organic traffic, paid traffic, social traffic. And that really helps us understand um, or get a glimpse into where some of the problems are because you could have an instance where uh, sales on a page is really high, but the bounce rate is really bad and the conversion rate is equally as bad. So you're driving a lot of traffic and you're getting a lot of sales 
but let's say your bounce rate and conversion rate were both really poor and then you explore that further and you find the reason that likely is the case is because the page load is just too high that means there's lost money on that and especially if most of your traffic is that's let's say it's coming from paid right that means you're spending money to drive people to pages that while they perform well they're really slow and because they're really slow a lot of users don't go on them and or don't take the time to spend uh, or wait for that page to load so they leave and those insights really help us get an idea of what the priorities are from a design perspective too because there are design decisions that you know do impact page speed but you know some dev considerations too so i'd say that's a big part of what we do and is sort of like an intro entry point when we start doing any discoveries or deep dives into client analytics then to kind of talk a little bit next with that is looking at actual user behaviors and we do that through uh we use hotjar for heat mapping um you know it's very similar to like smart look and a few others they generally all do the same things but hotjar uh, we like Hotjar because it, they have uh, agency support, which is really great because we work with so many different clients. But with that, we're able to actually see how users are like moving throughout the site, like where they're clicking, what they're seeing, what they're scrolling their mouse over. And they also have user recordings, which actually let us view um, not not like real time or real recordings. The way Hotjar works is they actually they actually like record mouse movement and then they simulate it. In, in a recording fashion. Um, it's more of like a data protection thing, but we kind of use that to help um, just add some greater context to our in-depth analysis. So again, if we're looking at a page and the analytics is saying that, uh, let's say it is like a high traffic page. And even if it's a high performing page, there's a little bit of problems with something with some other aspect of it. We can kind of view and we can get a sense of if people find this page confusing, maybe they're not seeing a really important piece of information that's too far down below the fold. Um, something that really surprised me from using heat maps that I would have never known instinctually was that on uh, pretty much uh, the home page and a product page is specifically, most users rarely scroll too far below the fold. Like pretty, I would say, uh, let's say if the average like home page has five unique content sections on it usually users don't scroll past like the second content section and the the product page by comparison they usually don't scroll that much farther down the add to cart button like wherever the add to cart button is on a product page is usually where um it goes from like 100 to 80 percent of traffic viewing that section of the pdp to something around like 40 30 20. that's interesting yeah. Let's stay on stay sure. on that for a second because that's something that is super interesting and I and I think that's something that a lot of merchants will find useful is especially there is a huge request for a lot of a lot of below the fold content for products right so having some really engaging content below the fold informative content and I would say on mobile. And I guess this is just a question. I'm just assuming. On mobile, is there more scrolling to the bottom? People are used to scrolling on Facebook, on Instagram, on all these different apps. Like they're used to scrolling for more. Why aren't they scroll? Are they scrolling down on mobile to go see some of that content below the fold? Like, is that, you know, is that valuable content? Because it does add to add to page load time. Um, sometimes a lot of merchants really just want like beautiful videos and full width images and a lot of stuff below the fold that really talks about the product. Like even looking at like, like some big companies do that too, like Apple and, and a lot of other companies will have a lot of content down there. Um, 
Do you think that's a good approach? And I, I mean, I guess it depends, but I'm curious if there's different engagement on desktop than mobile when it comes to below the fold PDP content and how valuable is that content? Is it really helping in the customer's buying decision? So the thing is, of course, is that, you know, the one answer can be it, it depends because of course, different brands, different products, different price points, right? Whereas, you know, if you're looking at a, a brand that sells like $15 t-shirts, uh, you know, there's probably not going to be as much dis- information discovery as if you're selling like $300, um, you know, handbags and maybe depending on the brand user wouldn't even need to absorb a lot of information. What I can say about mobile first desktop is uh, pretty much the assumption that users will scroll more on mobile is pretty much uh, correct. It's a lot easier to use, but at the same time, uh, almost consistently, what I'm noticing is that almost all the recordings are skewed or heat maps are skewed towards mobile. Just mobile is kind of overtaking the desktop experience to the point where in a lot of cases, um, when we do like our discoveries, I almost purely talk about the home page or the, the the mobile versions of pages because the amount of you it's it's often like it can be as high as eighty percent mobile, twenty percent desktop, and well, of course you have to still factor the desktop in, and usually desktop sales are are higher than the amount of users that go on go on that you know that device type, but um, it's like mostly mobile now, and so that's that's why again I generally prioritize that. But as far as like the content being useful, right? The way heat maps work is that they collect aggregate behavior. That's the behavior of what most people are going to be doing on that page. And they kind of amalgamate it together into uh, like the screenshot of a product page. Looking at screen recordings and looking at more the individual level, um, because one of the great things about Hotjar is you can actually see, you can actually filter recordings by like acquisition before source, new or returning user, depending on your Hotjar plan. But I found that newer users or users from sources that are more likely to be like first time than returning, such as social, uh, those users are more likely to consume that um, that like richer content. Like they'll take the time to scroll down the product page and read reviews, or if they even are on the homepage, they might do a little bit of a discovery with the with like what some of like the branding elements. The homepage isn't really a good. Um, it's not really a good like a merchandising page in terms of like getting people to different product pages because users will do that through the collection page. But from a branding perspective, the homepage has a lot of value. And so I think it really depends on the, the user type and the amount of customers. I mean, we've worked with clients where their return customer rate is as high as 50%. And in that case, most of that uh, heat mapping data is going to skew towards returning customers who don't need that rich data. When you're thinking about the kind of like richer below the fold or, you know, uh, you know, web content in general, you're really making that for new customers because the customers that have bought with you before and are going to come back, it's not going to matter as much what new content you added to a product page or, um, you know, what, uh, you know, that they added like 18 more reviews to this product and they're displaying it a lot more. You don't need to convince a customer who's already bought with you before. The goal there is more nurturing that relationship through, uh, you know, retention efforts like email, loyalty, personalization, uh, figuring out how to get them to buy more with your store. Where it comes with like landing page optimization, right? For even core pages or special individual pages, that's really more for new for like a new customer acquisition and to convince them to buy with your brand. So no, it's not to say that, yeah, anything below the add to cart button on a product page is useless. It's more that make sure that you're really prioritizing the most important information on any page of the website whatsoever. Like the t- let's say the homepage, right? The, 
the first and two content sections, whatever those two content sections are, they need to be what you believe is the most important thing for your customer to know about your brand or product. And if you're not even sure, that's kind of where A-B testing comes in, which isn't really a part of our deep dive, but is usually a takeaway of what we can kind of test or, or verify because sometimes clients don't know or brands, they don't know what, like what the most important thing consumers care about and the heat mapping kind of sheds a little bit of insight into that, but it's also a little bit of testing and verifying what works and what uh, doesn't. But I would say, you know, it seems like an obvious thing, but the, the real thing is more important information should be way higher up on the page. If you have something super, super critical and it's like way down at the bottom, um, you might want to consider moving it higher, reviews included. And I know a lot of people are worried about putting product reviews higher on a PDP because they think, oh, people you know, with the Amazon, they know Amazon is, that's the, that's where it kind of ends. And that's where the page ends. And there's no content after that. I think with more people using direct to consumer websites, that's going to be less so the case, though I can understand that point. But overall, it's, it's kind of fascinating how similar users are in every website, I would say like behavior on one website is pretty representative on another, but just simply based on like the people we've, we've worked with, but you've always got to check individually. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I, I think it's really important that merchants look at this data and try to use some of these tools. You don't always need to hire an agency like ours to look at this information. You don't, you don't need to be an analytics expert. Um, of course, it helps. And of course, we could identify certain opportunities um, and you know take a lot of that off your plate. But I think it's also important, especially for growing brands and younger merchants to get comfortable looking at these analytics, get comfortable and trying out Hotjar, looking at these things, because it's also going to make the conversations a lot easier down the road when you do hire an agency uh, to help with some of these things too. Uh, it's going to make those conversations go a lot smoother. Um, the more the information that you have, um, and it doesn't necessarily even need to influence design decisions for you. It could influence how you merchandise your products or some simple changes that you can make within Shopify. Um, but as you do grow and as you do scale and use an agency or hire internally, you're going to want someone who's going to be able to really understand that data uh, and be able to um, make better customer experience and user experience decisions. Uh, so I think all of those things are really super important to start looking at for, um, especially Hotjar. Like I really really love that tool. Are there some other ones similar to Hotjar or like um, that might even provide more, maybe not even within like heat maps or something, any other tools that you would recommend uh, when it comes to uh, making more informed user experience decisions outside of like Hotjar? Maybe it's um, A-B testing things or uh, tools for like um, personalization, anything like that that you think could really help with making some of those design decisions? Yeah, I'd say one of those things is definitely, um, I, I just mentioned them earlier, but Smart Look, their, their heat mapping tool is pretty, is pretty decent. It actually, it doesn't work with, um, doesn't work with parallax scrolling, which is why I couldn't recommend them for that reason. But what's something they have that's really robust that Hotjart doesn't is uh, event tracking. So what event tracking lets you do is you can actually specifically monitor uh, behavior and frequency of clicks, engagements, views with um, 
not only like specific items on a page, like uh, you could actually have a recording or, or, or say, hey, I want you to um, like keep track of every time a user sees uh, the button add to cart on this page. Like you can do something like that, which I think is really cool. But even even what else is you can actually target the specific, uh, you know, uh, like element class or ID and you can get really granular with it, which really great for testing purposes if you're trying to um, kind of like supplement any A-B testing that you're going to do. Um, I think that kind of helps be able to track specific elements in a very granular way that you may not be able to do uh, individually. But talking about A-B testing, there's a few, some of which I've used a lot with, some of which I'm kind of learning a little bit more about. But one of them is Google Optimize, which is a Google's own A-B testing platform. The really nice thing about it is they have a free plan, which pretty much lets you do, I, I would say, the majority of what you'd actually be wanting to do with A-B testing in the very beginning. As soon as you wanted to get very specific with the type of customers you're targeting, like let's say you want, wanted to run A-B tests for only Facebook uh, user, who, from users who land on your website from Facebook, you'd need to get on like a paid plan for that and you have to contact them. But as like an entry point, it's really great because it's, um, it's less risk on uh, us or the client and it's, able, and it's also able to kind of like ease them into the idea of A-B testing before we actually recommend a, a little bit more of like a robust uh, solution. Um, the, one of those being uh, Convertize. One of the things I like about Convertize, which I've had some experience using, is they pretty much offer a lot of the robust testing features and like segmentation, uh, like personalization A-B testing that you would get from something a little bit more expensive. Uh, there's like enterprise solutions that give you a lot of stuff, but of course they're very expensive. Convertize is sort of a more affordable way of doing that. And they have a more streamlined way of A-B testing things to the point where, let's say on a product page, right? Um, they have like rejects targeting where if you make an update to uh, like a product page template, you can have it apply to all page types like that. So let's say you change the add to cart button to be like green, it would be green on every That's product awesome. page. I think that helps sort of streamline, you know, mass testing, especially if you're only testing, uh, especially if you're trying to test the product page template in general and not just a specific product. So I think Convertize is a really good uh, solution from that. Uh, otherwise, the only one that I'll really shout out at this moment um, is Google... Uh, Google Data Studio. That basically is just a feed that lets you pull in data from other sources, uh, Google Analytics especially, and um, kind of blend the data together, create interesting reporting uh, dashboards and templates that update automatically. And that's a great way for us to see um, really core e-com and website metrics that update. Again, it updates it automatically. Um, I don't have to like go into Google Analytics and pull up these reports manually and try to then put the data into some presentation it's all kind of there and it's all you know uh client ready and that's one that we've used a lot and our clients really like it um there's another tool though called dacity i have not unfortunately had the the you know the luxury of having to use it too much yet but one of the nice things about it as an analytics tool based on what i've kind of dug into it is that it actually lets you see uh, the customer buying journey of what customers not only buy together, like what the, you know, what like the kind of like average, uh, you know, product combination is, which is really great for like upsell or cross sell opportunities and understanding like what you should bundle. 
but it also lets you see what products customers are more likely to buy first than second. And that has a lot of implications when you think about uh, like email targeting as far as trying to get someone to make that second purchase. If you know what people buy first then second, that's really powerful information and something, you know, event eventually we want to start using with uh, some of our clients. Um, but there's like so many tools for a lot of different reads. I mean, for personalization, we have, um, you know, Nosto is really great. Um, what I like about it versus something like LimeSpot is LimeSpot, although it's a great entry-level personalization tool, it's more of a merchandising platform, whereas Nosto actually lets yeah. you personalize content itself and display different, like, you know, um, let's say different copy and imagery based on, you know, the user's attributes, like, you know, who they are, where they're coming from. And that's really powerful when you're trying to, uh, you know, beef up conversions from really from a lot colder traffic, but also to kind of nurture the relationship with like with repeat customers. Mm. Have you exp have you dove into any of Clavio's analytics and any of the like email marketing stuff? Or is that should we have looped in our email marketing manager for that portion of the conversation? So I will say as far as Clavio's own analytics, their analytics platform is actually pretty good you do get the core uh email metrics of uh, of email metrics especially with its native integration with um shopify and i think that's the really powerful thing about it is clavio tells you how much of the revenue you know that you ha get from your shopify store and how much of it can be attributed to clavio and they're pretty accurate with it um and i generally if you're if you you're if you're using clavio and you want to see email performance data you're better off looking in Clavio's dashboard than you are looking at Shopify or even Google. Um, aside from that, I don't have too much more to say on that as uh, email is not really, I'm not really an expert in email. The only thing I would kind of connect to that is that tool I mentioned before, Dacity, they do integrate with Clavio. So that lets you kind of pull in that data there and kind of mix it with the data you're getting from Google and Shopify, which has a lot of potential. Um, but I'm not super privy on a lot of like external third party tools that you should use for email analytics. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, we expand on this a bit on the next episode and dive in a little bit into email marketing analytics. Maybe we'll loop in our email marketing manager. If she's, uh, if she's interested, would love to kind of dive into a little bit more about Clavio's analytics and what we could recommend there. But I do agree the the integration within Shopify and how up to date that data is is is, is very valuable, super important. Um, but I would love to be able to dive into that a little bit more. I know that uh, um, merchants are going to find that extremely useful, um, and that's like a, almost like a whole other yeah. world. Uh, and I feel like it's secondary, like a, a lot of conversations are having, it's all about conversion rate. But what about the people coming from email? That's where a lot of your revenue should be coming from. So it's really important to look at yeah, that conversion as well. Yeah, rate, conversion rate is really, conversion rate's important when you're, I would say conversion rate is a lot more important when you're talking about um, like paid traffic, right? Because you're, you know, you're paying to get users onto a page and you're trying to measure the performance of it, like the ROI of your paid media, which, you know, is cost per customer acquisition, but conversion rate hands into that. But for, you know, retention or, you know, organic traffic from search or email where that's a little bit warmer, uh, conversion rate's a little bit less important because, you know, these users, they, they're they coming here with more intent. Uh, they're 
kind of there to purchase. And that's why you'll see those sources having a naturally higher conversion rate than something from like social or, you know, paid sources. But um, the metrics I generally try to look at more is uh, number of orders, average order value, and then revenue in general, and how those numbers, how that number changes over time, basically the percentage difference. Conversion rate is important, but it's not the most important metric I'd look at, despite the fact that our this industry does kind of idolize it, but it's not the full story. And I, I never completely bank off of it because you could have a brand, right? They're, let's say they're doing like $100 million, but the conversion rate's like 50 point, like 0.5%. But what if that product they're selling is, uh, you know, like $10,000 handbags or, you know, jewelry? Uh, that products like that, that have such a high price tag, you're obviously going to get more people visiting the site than you are purchasing, especially when users generally need more time information uh, to make that decision. But a product that's like $20, the conversion rate is probably going to be a lot higher because you could click on an ad and be like, yeah, I'll buy this. I mean, a lot of people do it, especially if the content leading up to it's pretty enticing or if the nature of the ad is pretty salient. So I think those things factor into it too. But the last thing I kind of want to talk about, and I think we can kind of wrap it up from there, is specifically how all of these insights and analytics fit into the design process itself. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that. So essentially when I've done all this, right, I've kind of put together uh, my findings and whatever format that might be, the way that I generally try to work with the designers uh, as much as possible, um, and this is something I, I would say a little bit newer, not simply referring to, we do that site architecture, which is essentially mapping out the content and functionality needs of a, of a web page. And that's really good when it comes to full builds. But in certain cases, when we're you know doing GrowthX and we're trying to optimize an existing site, what I like to do there is I like to have a, you know, a small summary of my findings or like key takeaways, right? Like if we're redesigning a certain page, like a product page, I have essentially, I have key takeaways that, you know, we need to kind of, you know, fit like the goals from it. Like, okay, we notice people are doing this or they're not doing this or they're not seeing that and we need to improve it. And so these are the, the checklist of things that kind of have to be met to make sure that we're redesigning this page or section of a page a lot uh, better or to accomplish whatever the goals we establish are. And so I'll kind of make that. Um, I'll also try to, if I use visual references, right? Because part of what I do in my discoveries is I do try to find some visual examples of other brands that do something similar, maybe other industries entirely I'll take inspiration from. And I like to collect that a little bit too, just so the designers can have some visual reference of kind of what I'm talking about potentially. If, it's, if what I'm saying does have a little bit more of like a design aspect to it. Uh, and then lastly, I will generally have like a very quick touch base with them and almost like a, not a check, but almost like a, a briefing call where I kind of walk, I talk about the designer of what the nature is, where my decision, you know, where my like thought process comes from when, you know, figuring this out and doing all this, uh, you know, discovery and essentially just have a conversation with them and make sure that they understand like where I'm coming from and not that I'm just saying, hey, you, sh you, you know, you're going to redesign this page and you're going to have to incorporate, make sure that these are incorporated and here's the reasons why. It's helping them or working with them to understand from the UX perspective why um, I wanted to redesign a page this way or why we're including these elements, removing these elements, having this feature in. And I think they appreciate that. I think they like to get more involved with the UX side and less, not, you know, 
get involved with the with the UX side as much as they're involved with the actual visual UI side of it. Um, and I think that collaboration so far from when we have done that is worked out pretty well versus where it's a lot colder of a communication of just purely through like Monday or teamwork or Slack, uh, simply with us being work from home, you know, we don't have that in-person interaction. So getting on like a 15 minute call sometimes does a lot more than writing out a full page in a, uh, in like a Google doc. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely a good point. Um, when it comes to things that you need to get started, what do we normally request during the discovery period? Like I know last time we spoke about a discovery period, what are the top three things you need access for? Then we could start wrapping this up, but I'm just curious, what are those three things that merchants should have in order that we want when we're kicking off a full build, like a redesigned discovery? Sure. The top three things that I would say is number one, access to the Shopify store. Um, that not only lets us see their analytics, but also it lets um, me and our solutions engineer have an idea of how their site is coded, what apps they're using to support functionality, and even how their product set up, which have a ton of implications for a rebuild. Two is Google Analytics. And that's really important for a lot of those reasons I mentioned earlier about reviewing you know, landing page performance and where customers are coming from and what the overall conversion rates and revenue sources are. Then lastly is Something that may, they may most clients don't necessarily have, but kind of should do, is for you know Hotjar for reviewing heat maps. Um, we usually give them a tracking snippet, or we offer to set it up um, for them. It's very easy. You just take the, the you know the the tracking snippet and you put it in the head of theme.liquid. But of course, if they're using like GitHub or something, I mean, there's different implications there. But overall, basically making sure that Hotjar is set up. So having giving us access to Google Analytics, their Shopify store, and making sure that Hotjar is set up and having that done as soon as possible is probably the most valuable uh, things and resources that we need from a client in these discoveries. Yeah, get your Hotjar set up. <laughs> That's uh, always important. Do that now. Um, it's pretty easy. It's pretty affordable. And it helps everyone. <coughs> All right. I think that wraps it up. I, I mean, I think that was really informative both on my side uh, and hopefully on the listener side. But um, if you have any questions about making more informed design decisions uh, using data or interested in our process, happy to talk about that more, happy to jump on a call. So feel free to check out our website, avixdesigns.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn or any of the other channels uh, that you can find us on. Uh, otherwise, I'll talk to you next yeah. week, David. All right. Have a... Well, I'll talk well, to you before yeah, yeah. then, but uh, I'll also talk to you officially. We, we, we don't. We, next yeah, week. John and I don't just talk on these podcasts. Uh, we talk outside of this. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> All right, take care, man. All right, Thank thanks, you, everyone. everyone. Bye.